Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Deanna Franzen, a 2010 graduate from the U.S. Air Force Academy. In this episode, you'll hear why Deanna pivoted away from a lifelong dream of owning a dance studio to instead developing a desire to serve and join the military, how a small mistake her first year at the academy altered the trajectory of her entire career, and how she's used her clarity and determination to find her dream job as a lawyer back in her home state of Texas. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Deanna. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Can you tell everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Sure. I'm originally from San Antonio, Texas, and I did my undergraduate education at the United States Air Force Academy. I'm now in Fort Worth, Texas, and I'm no longer in the Air Force. I graduated in 2010 from the Air Force Academy. And to start, can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? Sure. So I, right before I separated from the Air Force, I graduated from law school and passed the bar. And so now I am a prosecutor in the Tarrant County Criminal District Attorney's Office. Awesome. And I'm excited to hear how you got there from the Air Force (laughs) Academy. But, But to start, let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college. Uh, what made you choose a service academy and what made you specifically choose the United States Air Force Academy? So I knew I wanted to go to a good school. I knew I had some options out there. And I actually, early on in high school, I would say up until my senior year of high school, my goal was to go to college, get a degree in business and in dance, and maybe one day open my own dance studio. That was the thought. But somewhere in the back of my mind, I was also thinking about, you know, how do I give back to the country? Because 9-11 happened when I was a freshman in high school, and it was absolutely a life-changing moment for me. And so, you know, as I'm working my way through high school, I'm, I'm thinking like, hey, I have these goals, you know, of being a dance teacher one day, but how do I give back to my country? And my senior year of high school, right at the beginning, I had a teacher sit down with me and just, it was like a career coaching, a life coaching type thing that he did with all of his students. And he said, okay, well, you know, what's going on next with you? Where are you going after high school? And I was like, well, you know, I think I'm going to college. It's such a weird question to ask. And he said, you know, there's really four options in life after high school. You can go to college, you can enlist in the military, you can get a job, or you can go to a military academy. And so I knew that I wasn't going to enlist and I knew that I didn't want to just get a job. And I knew that I thought I wanted to just go to a college, uh, the best college I could get into and see where I went from there. And I just didn't know that much about service academies. And so I was like, do you mean like West Point? Like that's the only thing that I had heard of at that point, you know, at 16 years old. And he's like, no, no, they're for every single branch of the service. And I think that you should look more into that. And that one conversation changed the entire trajectory of my life because I did start looking into it. I looked into all of them, but I would say I looked most seriously into the Air Force Academy and West Point and was kind of debating, you know, which one of these do I want to go to? Is it too late uh, in the process to even apply? Because here I am already a senior behind the power curve for sure in terms of getting a nomination uh, and everything that goes into getting into the academy but i just started down that path and and then making the decision between the two like which one do i want to focus on i had a retired army first sergeant who was in my life whose opinion i trusted very uh or whose opinion i took very highly he told me he's like you know i will never admit it on the record but i think you should go to the air force academy and not go into the army And so that is what I ended up focusing on. I ended up focusing on the Air Force Academy, and thankfully it all kind of worked out. Was there military in your family at all? Sort of. I mean, my dad had been drafted during the Vietnam War, and he eventually ended up just getting out afterwards and and settling in San Antonio is where he ended up and opening a construction business. Uh, But he always looked back on his time in the military really fondly. He would talk about it. Uh, Whenever he had the opportunity, not a lot, you know, but when you were asking him about his past, he always spoke so highly of his time in the military and he really wished that he had stayed for longer. You know, he had been offered 
a, an opportunity to go to officer candidate school right before the war ended and before he got out. And I think that that's one of those uh, roads that he didn't take that he always kind of looks back on and wonders, what if I had stayed? What if I'd made a military career? So there's that. That was out there. And then my my sister was married to a, at the time, let's see, he would have been an E6, I think, maybe an E5 in the Air Force. And so, so those, those were really the two main military influences, if you will, but they weren't super pressuring. Nobody was telling me that I should go into the military, but they certainly were both very supportive of, of the decision once I started expressing interest. Ah, interesting. Interesting. I also want to just like shout out to that teacher who said there were only four options. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, like, that's a pretty interesting breakdown. And it, it sounds like it really had, well, obviously it had a huge impact on you. So West Point and Air Force were the two initially. Did you actually go and visit the Air Force Academy once you honed in on that? Nope. To be, you know, and and looking back, that was in 2004, I guess, is when the the application process would have started for me, you know, and, you know, I looked online, I looked at some stuff, but not even a fraction of the information that's out there now was available at the time. But, you know, I always tell people looking back, I've had a number of people over the years who've been like, hey, I'm interested in the Air Force Academy, or I have a family member. So I sit down and talk to people about just what it means to apply to an academy. Um, I've done that fairly often. And I always tell them, I'm like, look, I can tell you the, the, the tough times. I can tell you about the, the parts of going to an academy that just really don't compare to civilian college. But I don't think that that's something that you should focus on when you're thinking about going there. If anything, it'll talk you out of maybe the greatest decision of your life. And so maybe it was for the best. I didn't know everything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. So what ended up happening is, I guess a few weeks before the class was supposed to start for, for, I guess that would have been the class of 2009, I got notified that I needed a medical waiver and I'm sure this will resonate with a number of people who have been to the ser- to different service academies, but Dodd-Murb told me I had a medical condition I didn't even know existed. So oh. I needed to go, yeah, so I needed to go get a waiver for that. And the waiver just came through way too close to the time when um, the, the class was supposed to, to start that, that summer class. And so they offered me the opportunity to go to a prep school for a year. And so I went, to the, I went to the New Mexico Military Institute in Roswell, New Mexico for a year. And the way they have that school structured, because there are so many students there who are preparatory students, both on scholarship and not on scholarship for all of the five different service academies, they link you up with like a mentor, an advisor there. And one of the things that they do is if you are there on a scholarship, they take you on a trip to go visit the academy that you're still trying to get into the, the year-long application process, if you will. And so that was the first time I saw it. Gotcha. So you went to NIMI. You're, I did. I went to yeah. NIMI. Okay. All right. So, so tell me a little bit more about then, okay, so your application process when you were in high school, it seems like it went smoothly except for this medical piece, which then they said, hey, go to NIMI. Um, how did you feel about that? I mean, it was disappointing, you know, for sure, looking back, but I knew that this was something, something about the whole process, it fell into my lap, the whole process fell into my lap, obviously pretty late, as I've already talked about, but as I was going through the process, I really felt that this was something I was supposed to do. It just felt very right, everything about it, and I decided that this was just an opportunity that I couldn't let go by. I needed to see it through and see what happened. And so, you know, at this point, I'd been waiting so long to find out, is this waiver going to come through? And so I, I kind of had been making other plans, like, hey, I'm going to have to go to a different college and, you know, talking to friends of mine from high school, trying to figure out, you know, who am I going to be roommates with? I got this narrowed down, which college am I going to, uh, you know, formally accept to go to? And then all of this came through. And so uh, I'm, I'm thankful that some of those friends still stood by me, you know, even after I'd made plans to go off to school with them. But I think everybody understood that this was just something that it, it really seemed like the right thing for my life. And, and looking back, I, I don't doubt that I made the right decision. So, okay. So if you hadn't gotten the spot at NIMI, 
were you going to follow through with your plan then to open your own dance studio? Was that kind of the plan? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Okay, so tell me, um, your, your idea back then, what did you think you were going to be doing if you went to an academy? Like, what did you want to do post-graduation at that time? I was really interested in languages at the time, and so I wanted to do anything that led to a career where I could speak a different language. That's not what happened, but that was my plan. You know, this is just crazy to me. I think you're like the third person on this podcast who has said something about like how languages drew them into the academy. So I just find that so fascinating. Okay, well, that's cool. So that's cool. So that was your plan. Something with languages, yeah. you wanted to give back. Uh, you got into NIMI because of this medical thing. Um, so tell me about NIMI. Like, because this is, this is your first introduction to the military. How did that go? So I, I liked the structure of it. I'm from a big family. I don't feel like I've ever had a hard time being around other people or listening to what other people tell me to do. So that stuff was never really a shock to me. Um, the uniform thing, I guess, was something to get used to, to a certain extent. All uh, first semester girls at NIMI are required to wear their hair in a French braid. And I remember when I got all the information, hey, this is the school I'm going to, this is everything you need to know, because they do a little mini basic training, nothing like the service academies do, it's a much shorter thing, but they do a little mini version of it, and one of the things I needed to do was learn how to French braid my hair, and it's crazy to me looking back, but that is the thing I was most terrified of, I was like, what if I can't get my hair up? <laughs> I need to figure out how to do this quickly. Yeah. Um, so, th so there's that, so, so it started, but you know, once we got into the swing of things and the school year started, I liked it. I, I liked the structure of it. I was confident that all of this was part of the bigger picture, that this wasn't forever, but it was a small taste of what was to come and it was enough to keep me going. Gotcha. Okay. Now, just, just to give people a little bit of context, like when you were in high school, um, now you said you had a big family and stuff, but like, were you always someone who was, you know, pretty self-disciplined, a good student? Was that your background? Good student, yes. Disciplined, I would partially say yes. I, I think that when I got to, maybe more so to the Air Force Academy than to NIMI, was the first time I really had to apply myself to learn things, you know? Like, I, a lot mm. of things just came naturally to me in high school. And all of a sudden, when I got to the Air Force Academy, I really had to learn how to study and, like, properly outline and prepare for class. And so, I would say that I, I learned some discipline as far as that goes. But overall, I think, yes, I would agree with that assessment. Okay, I got you. Um, all right, so now let's dive a little bit into your time at the Academy. So if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? Worthwhile. Okay, so give me, give me the reason why you say that. I think for so many people, especially talking to people now that I went to school with, they look back and, and everyone just has different perspectives on what their time at the academy was. And I, I would not say that my time at the academy was filled with a lot of bad things. I like things about it. I, I don't know if there's any one major pivotal point where, I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is everybody looks back and, and everybody asks the question, would you do it again, knowing everything about uh, what happens at the academy? And I would absolutely say yes to that. As I look back on those times, man, I wouldn't trade anything about the relationships that I built or the things that I learned about myself, about who I am and what I'm capable of. I mean, I wouldn't trade that for the world. That's why I would say it's worthwhile. Mm, all right. So let's go back to that first day. You show up at the academy. Um, tell me, tell me how that went for you. So no one had prepared me for, and, and again, I go back to what I said earlier. I am glad I didn't know these details, but no one had prepared me for the bus ride and the footsteps at the Air Force Academy. So, you know, my, I got on a plane. My parents didn't come out with me or anything like that. I had a, a local sponsor family drop me off at at, um, I think it was Doolittle Hall, I think is where they drop off. And you go through all the kind of the basic things, but for people that have family, their families are still walking around with them. And, 
you know, they do this thing where or they used to, I think that they've moved where they do in processing since, but you'd walk out these doors, you'd go over a challenge bridge and right before you'd walk over it, there's a wall of all the graduates that have been killed in action. And so they talk about the effect that being a service academy graduate has on your community, that you may be asked to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And they ask you if you're willing to do that, if that's something that you're willing to sign up for, because if you're not potentially willing to do that, then this isn't the place for you and you can turn around and go back with your family uh, wherever you came. Um, but if you accept the challenge, they have you come over this bridge and at that point you're separated from your family. Um, and then they put you on a bus and as soon as the bus starts to pull away, all hell breaks loose on the bus. And that is your first taste of military life, of, of what the next six to seven weeks of your life is gonna be. And it was a total shock, but I do remember in the midst of, I guess you can probably call it terror, looking, looking back, I'm not afraid to say that I was terrified about what the decisions that I'd made and what was going yeah. on and, and what was gonna happen next. But I, I remember this little small voice in the back of my head being like, it's finally happening. This thing that you have been working so hard for, like you're here, you're doing this and this is amazing. Mm. And so, um, that little voice would pop up from time to time during basic training. And, uh, it was pretty cool. Every time I would have that moment of like, what am I doing? This is awful. My friends are, are back home partying, enjoying their last few weeks before they go off to college. And I'm sitting here getting yelled at because my laces aren't properly, you know, running through my boots. Like, <laughs> but, but I'm like, this is the thing, like, this is the thing that you have worked so hard for and you're here, you accomplished this goal. And so just the very fact that you're being yelled at right now in a way is an accomplishment of, of a dream. So wow, what perspective though? And I, and I bet you a lot of that perspective comes from, like you said, you know, the fact that you had to go to NIMI, the fact that you had that struggle with the medical waiver and, and just that whole process that, you know, you appreciated it so much. I'm sure that you were finally there. I think that that's absolutely true. I th back when I was at the academy, it probably still exists in some form at all academies, but there can be some cynicism that runs through the ranks at different times. Uh, upset that you have to do this thing that doesn't make sense, whatever it might be, whatever wing-wide thing is now required, some change in requirements that somehow curtails your freedom cynicism just is going to exist. Uh, but I always tried so hard to not buy into that. And, and whenever I started to hear myself talk that way, to remind myself to snap out of it, because I did work so hard. I want to be here. There's nowhere else that I wanted to be. And so why am I going to be upset or frustrated about being the place that I so desperately wanted to be? Yeah, I love that. I don't think... Uh... I think it is very easy to lose that perspective. But to your point, if you worked so, so hard to get in, I think it helps ground that, you know, that cynicism for sure. Um, okay, so, so did you make it through that summer pretty much unscathed for the most part? I, w I would say yes, uh, especially when you compare <laughs> to your classmates and some of the things that they're going through and the struggle they're having to adapt to military life. I would say that I got through pretty unscathed. Okay, so now tell me a little bit about what happens when you enter the academic year. How does that go? Well, this is where it really kind of hits me, like what I was talking about earlier, where I needed to be a much better student than I was. You know, I will always make the joke, like when you have the smartest kids in the nation and you put them all in a school, all of a sudden, you know, like the law of averages, not everybody's going to be the best anymore. And so I always say, you know, I was a smart kid in high school that willingly accepted the role of being the mediocre student at the Air Force Academy. <laughs> that was my burden and I was happy to have it. So uh, freshman year came in hot, you know, uh, math, science, um, engineering classes, and I was overwhelmed and working so hard. I that was the first time I had ever really had to to try to figure out a subject to to try and learn it what they meant. Um, and so that was a an eye opening experience, but certainly a memory that I look back on often when it comes to like thinking. You know, is this something that I can accomplish? Well, surely I can. Like I figured out these subjects that are definitely not my forte. They're not my primary interest at the very least and figured out how to get through. But 
needless to say, that first semester GPA was not great. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, a little bit of a shock. And that is not uncommon, as I'm sure you've heard over the years, where people go from being like the superstars in their class, they can get by, they're just naturally smart, and they get to the academy and it's like, I don't know how to study and this is really hard. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, I get that for sure. Um, Okay, so let's dive a little bit into some of your highlights at the Academy. Like, what are some of the most memorable, positive experiences you have from your time? So, I was on the mock trial team. That's actually kind of a funny story. So, how I ended up there, they do a extracurricular activities fair, I guess, your freshman year, your first couple of weeks. And everybody had told me, you know, you have to find a reason to leave the academy just to help keep your sanity. Like you need to get away from here every once in a while because it helps you keep perspective. Uh, it helps you stay focused and, and uh, not burn out. And so, you know, I've been thinking about what do I want to do? Like I didn't go there as an intercollegiate athlete. So what extracurricular activity am I going to get involved in? And so everybody in my, the squadron that my, my, my freshman squadron, um, four degree year, everybody talked about the ski club. They're like, ski club is the place to go. It's just this awesome thing where, you know, the upperclassmen just provide rides to the uh, freshmen that, you know, you get a free ride up to the mountains. You just maybe help chip in for gas and you get away from here for the weekend. And it's just the best thing ever. You got to join the ski club. That's all I heard. And so I'm like, man, you know, I, I guess I got to join the ski club. <laughs> and so I go to this uh, extracurricular fair and I'm wandering around, like seeing if there's anything else I'm interested in. But I knew like, hey, I got to get on this email list so that I find out when these rides to the mountains are every weekend. And I walk up on what I think is the ski club table and it, there's just so many people. And as I kind of walk around it, I realize that there is an, a, an area of table with, with upper class, clearly upper class cadets. Uh, standing behind it where there's not a crowd and I'm like oh man I found the back road to signing up for the ski club uh, and as I walked up it turned out that I walked up to the mock trial team table oh. and I just <laughs> I felt so bad like I didn't want to be the person who's like I wasn't looking for you like they were so excited that someone had walked up and they started telling me about it and I don't know I just weirdly kind of went along with it I was like okay I'll sign up like y'all get the first email maybe in um so I did that right I got on their email list and then I went and signed up for the ski club but I ultimately funny story never actually once participated in a single ski club activity uh whenever I went I went with my <laughs> own friends uh but mock trial man they within about a week or so of that extracurriculars fair, they sent out a, an orientation email. Hey, here's our first meeting. And oh, by the way, here's a lot more detail about what our club does and you know what we do each year, the different things that'll be expected of you if this is something you wanna join. And I was really interested in it. So I went to that first meeting and I ended up being in uh, on the team for the next four years. And I was a uh, co-captain of the team my, my um, first year. And man, that, again, was another moment where it just seemed so small and you wouldn't think it, but it obviously changed the entire trajectory of my life knowing what I do now. That is crazy. Okay, wait, so, so yeah. So can you just give like a, a little synopsis of like what is mock trial just for people that might not know? Sure. So they give you a case problem and you get a bunch of affidavits of witnesses, kind of their backstory, if you will. They give you, for those of, of y'all out there that might be familiar with, you know, the real legal world, <laughs> a lot of what we do is governed by case law and then, of course, by statute, by actual laws that have been passed by government. And so they give you fake ones. And so you get this information and then your job is to prepare a case for both the plaintiff and the defense. Uh, you're allowed to call three witnesses per side to prove your case. And when you go to these tournaments, you go in there, you find out first who you're going up against, what school you're going up against, and then you flip a coin to find out which side you're going to be. So you have to have both sides of the case prepared. Um, in addition to calling those three witnesses and having to do a direct examination um, of those witnesses, you also have an opening statement and a closing argument. So this is so interesting to me because you went into the school thinking you were going to do languages and, you know, um, study languages and, and, and dance, maybe. I, did you think you were going to dance at the academy? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's interesting, too, because you it sounds like that was, like, really a part of your life. And 
did that bother you at all that that kind of fell off the table? I think by that point, because I had gone to NIMI for a year, you know, I'd been away from it. I was actually in cheerleading the year that I was at NIMI. So I got a little taste of it. And I think I was starting to be okay with that idea, you know, that these were just separate roads and I had taken this route and this is where we were going to go. But in the middle of all of that, I'd kind of moved from this background in, in all of you know, ballet, jazz, power palm, you know, like all, all of this stuff, I kind of moved from that and moved my interests more to different types of dancing that requires a partner, right? And so whenever I would go out somewhere at night or on the weekend or whatever, I, I felt like I was getting my fill because at that point I, I felt like I had learned how to dance all of these other types of dances and I was happy enough doing that. I really was. Who, who knows how it could have turned out, but I'm, I'm glad that I don't miss that too much. Interesting. Okay. All right. So tell me, at what point did the focus switch while you were at the academy from languages to, well, what did you end up doing? I became a logistics readiness officer, but I realized what I really wanted to be was an attorney. And I was, I was working towards that language goal. I was in Arabic, I was taking Arabic, uh, enjoyed taking Arabic. And for a while, I was majoring in in foreign area studies focused on the Middle East. I ultimately ended up switching my major to political science, but Mm. which was was the perfect fit. But I knew that there wasn't an option to be an attorney straight out of uh, the academy at the time. My understanding is now they do send one or two people to law school back then. That was not an option. (laughs) Mm. And so really the moment for me, though, is I remember it was my my um, second class year at the academy. So I was a junior. We were at our regional tournament, which was in Dallas, Texas. So weird how all roads lead back to this area. <laughs> uh, but we were at our regional tournament and I was giving a closing argument. And I remember like I'd given this closing argument or some version of it multiple times at different tournaments throughout the year. And so I was pretty comfortable with it. I was comfortable with the facts and my ability, you know, to talk about them. But as I was standing there in the middle of the well of the courtroom, looking at these fake judges up on a real bench, and I just remember thinking, I love this. I love everything about this. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I could be happy doing this. And I still remember that feeling because it was almost like chills came over me. And then I had to finish my closing argument, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that never left me. And so I knew that, you know, later on we – it was probably shortly after that point that we had to put in our our choices for what jobs we might want to have. And because I couldn't put down law school, I just put down a lot of different things that I was interested in. I was still interested in going into intelligence. You know, I was like, hey, I could do something with um, with intelligence and, and maybe get to use languages. I don't know. Maybe they'll send me to school to, to get better at Arabic or something. And I really to be honest, thought I must have been a shoe in for it because I had been taking Arabic. But I think that because I put logistics on my sheet, I think they were shorthanded that year. This is a completely unconfirmed fact, but um, mm-hmm. I think that they must have been shorthanded that year because everybody that I talked to that put logistics down, they put it pretty low on their list. And no matter where it was on their list, they ended up getting picked up for it, which must have meant mm. they needed to fill a lot of those slots and didn't tell anybody, right? If you put it down, this is what you're getting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I always, I always blame my, uh, my brother-in-law for that. Um, jokingly, I had a good career in logistics, but he was the whole reason I'd put it down. He was enlisted and he worked in a logistics squadron. Uh. And I just remember thinking like, hey, I need one more thing to round out this list of eight. I'm just going to throw a logistics officer on there. My brother-in-law does it. And then that's what I ended up doing. So that's so, it's so interesting to me that, um, that, that mistake, if we go back to that mistake of going to the wrong table and signing up for mock trial, like it changed everything for you. I mean, that really introduced you to this whole profession, right? And then that's what you ended up wanting to do. I mean, I know that there was this little stint where you had to do your service commitment and that ended up being logistics, but that's just fascinating. Like it's just, that's just life, right? Uh, It's incredible. I love hearing stories like that. Um, Okay. But let's go back. So highlight mock trial for sure. And that obviously had a huge impact on you forever. What else? Were there any other positive highlights, memorable moments of your time at the Academy? 
I that's one thing that I often go back to is the first time I jumped out of a plane and I know it's kind of a cliche story for a lot of Air Force Academy graduates because that's a pretty terrifying idea especially yeah. at, you know 22 years old when I did it uh, you know why why would you jump out of a plane I will often think back to the feeling I felt as I was getting on the plane that day and people giving you a hard time you know like you better not land with the plane <laughs> and <laughs> just fighting through all of those thoughts that go through your mind. And so whenever I'm, I feel like I've faced anything in my life today, especially in the last 10 years, where I'm like, man, this just seems insurmountable. Like, do I have it in me to get through this? I always go back to that feeling. And I'm like, if you could jump out of that plane five times, you can do anything, right? Because you did not <laughs> think that this was a natural thing. And you were determined to do it and to, and to get it done. And I did. And so that is, I would say very much a high point for me. Okay. All right. So um, let's move on to some of the lowlights at the Academy. So were there any major lowlights or, you know, just experiences that really had an impact on you at the Academy that you want to share? So I, I mean, I'll, I'll address some minor ones first. I would say that I definitely struggled with being homesick for my family and for Texas pretty off and on throughout my four years. My sponsor family there used to, used to tell me all the time, that like, you are the most homesick Texan I've ever met. And I don't even know how that's possible because every Texan who's not in Texas constantly talks about Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm aware of that. <laughs> um, so, so that's just something to fight through. But again, that just went back to perspective and reminding myself of that constantly. Um, I, I would say that I also, I didn't know what it was at the time. Uh, but looking back, I definitely dealt with imposter syndrome a lot. And I often would wonder in the middle of things, times when things weren't going very well, when I wasn't a very good student academically, especially in the beginning, my first couple of years, you know, I, I would wonder if this really should have been my spot. And I think it goes back to a comment that was made when I was applying for my nomination. Uh, it, it was after I was already at NIMI, so you have to re-get a nomination from your senator uh, or, or representative. So someone on the selection committee made a comment to me as I was reapplying for my nomination and said, this particular spot that you're competing for, you know, like we recognize that you are a cadet at NIMI and, you know, you've been given a Falcon Foundation scholarship and you're practically guaranteed admission, <laughs> assuming you get this nomination. But they're like, this spot has always gone to somebody who's gone on to graduate. And Representative Smith wants that to, to be part of this, the legacy of this spot. And so are you sure you can do that? And, I, you know, whenever things would go back, I'd look back at that. And I'm like, man, did I steal this spot from somebody who could go and, and do it better than me? Uh, and especially wow. when I wasn't a very good student, I, I would say that that was definitely, those, those would be low points. And I think that the moment that, that that thought really took the deepest root was the only time in my entire academic career from high school to the Air Force Academy to law school that I've ever failed a class was I failed physics 215 at the Air Force Academy. And that's a big thing for me to even admit. You know, I'm not somebody who likes to admit that I have failed at something. But it was a very humbling moment for me in my life. I learned a lot about who I am in the middle of personal crisis, if you will, mm. because I, you know, I did not know, like, how am I supposed to explain this to my family? And then all the thoughts start running through your head, like, you failed a class. Like, are you going to get kicked out? Um, yeah. I, I clearly didn't, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you have to go in front of a, of a, an academic board. And, you know, in this particular case, thankfully, they're like, all your other grades seem well enough, you know, they were coming up, I guess, at that, at the point that it happened. And so they didn't, and, and I'm very thankful for that. But that was a moment where I really had to fight through a lot of questions about, am I enough? Should I be here? Have I taken someone's spot? Is this really the path for me if I can't pass a physics class? Um, mm. And yeah. so I would say that that was probably the most major low point of my time there. Yeah. And that's a lot of stress. It's just a lot to go through while you're at an academy for sure. So I can definitely yeah. appreciate that. Um, but you did get through. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't yeah. want to make light of that because I know that in the grand scheme of things, especially compared to so many of my female counterparts of the different academies, that they dealt 
that their low points would be much, much more horrific than mine. And that's not lost on me. Um, well, no, stop, stop. We're not going to do that. Because that was your experience. And that was hard for you. And listen, as someone that was the director of an academic counseling center at the Merchant Marine Academy, I can tell you that I worked with a lot of students struggling academically over the years. And that is really hard, especially with your background. I mean, you go in there coming from a school where you're a top performer academically. And that's like part of your identity all through high school, part of the reason why you get in and then you struggle. And yeah, it's at that age, especially it's going to challenge your identity and that's really stressful. So don't unvet, like, don't, you know, like that was your experience and that was, it made you, it challenged you in a lot of ways. So that's stressful. You know, we all perceive stress differently. So listen, I would have struggled with that big time, you know? So yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So I get that. That's, that's huge, you know, um, but you did make it through. Uh, and yeah. it sounds like, um, well, you tell me, were there any other lowlights at the Academy that had like a huge impact on you? So I'll leave names out because I never know who's listening to what, you know, but I, I know that the people who knew me back then will know this story very well. Um, there, there was a running joke that it's kind of a, a harken to the movie Mean Girls, you know, how you just can't stop talking about that thing that's driving you so crazy. Uh, yeah. And so my friends would say that I would just word vomit every time this would come up. But, you know, I became roommates um, one semester with this girl who she wasn't in my class she's from a different class and everybody knew that she was a problem child but I definitely had no idea what I was getting the full extent of what I was getting myself into by being her roommate I just kind of felt bad like everyone else was refusing to room with her I was like that's fine and this girl had some pretty deep psychological issues that I can say like looking back that's definitely what was going on Uh, she probably had undiagnosed kleptomania Uh, She was definitely dealing with some major self-esteem issues, and so she was constantly taking my things, as I guess most kleptos might, but she she really would just take anything that was edible, and she would eat it, Um, and well she probably had bulimia too. Um, but she, I mean, she would just take things for unknown reasons and she was constantly dishonest, which is like a huge struggle for me because I could tell that there was dishonesty, but I didn't know always exactly what had been said. But so you're in this weird conflict of like the honor code too. You're like, where is my responsibility to say something? Like, do I have to dig and figure out? But I know that dishonesties are being told about why she's not going to class, why she just sleeps all day and is is up all night, why she constantly as she's up all night walks in and out of the room. Um, I, I remember that particular part of it was so bad that that semester when I was getting ready to take what we called GRs, but our, you know, final exams, I started sleeping in our media room, (laughs) in our squadron media room, because I just, I literally could not get sleep in there. There was just so much going on and with her. (laughs) And uh, I would say that things really got really bad with her. Uh, There was just no coming back. I had been playing with my, because I was my senior year, my first year, I'd been playing with my class ring uh, at lunch where, you know, you can spin them, right? And they spin like a top. They'll just spin forever. And so I'd been standing there waiting for for the, them to call the wing to attention before lunch, just spinning my ring. Got called to attention very unexpectedly. And so my ring was just sitting on my plate. And uh, I didn't realize until I was about to leave lunch, like, hey, my ring is not on my finger. We pretty quickly as a table figured out that she had taken the ring. And so I go storming back to our dorm room and I remember my friend Spencer was like, I'm coming with you to make sure nobody dies. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was pretty pissed. I mean, this is a $2,000 ring, right? So I, that I had worked so hard for, I felt like, you know, especially at the time going through everything. And so I go flying back to the room and I confront her immediately and she plays dumb at first. But I think she thought like, like I'm going to, she's going to search me if I don't just give it up. And so after me yelling, for I would say less than five minutes she was like oh here's your ring and pulls it out of her pocket she was like it was just a joke and it was in a way that everybody because at this point like anybody that was in the squadron was watching this go down at the doorway like Mm. it it was in a way that we know going back to recap it later everybody knew but there were a lot of questions about whether that ring ever would have been given back if I hadn't confronted her in the way that I did in that moment and so 
you know, I, I was so looking forward to my first year into that first semester. Things really were put a, a, a damper on it because of her behavior. But I mean, she ultimately did not graduate from the academy. Um, after I graduated, she was given the boot. So yeah, you know, listen, like you're telling the story, like you're just telling the story, like with a little bit of lightheartedness, and you're sharing the details, and it is what it is. But like that sounds so stressful to me. I cannot even imagine going through that while at an academy. I mean, like you're not sleeping well. Uh, you don't trust this person who's like living in your quarters with you. I mean, everything about that sounds so stressful to me. So I can appreciate what you're sharing for sure. Yeah. It definitely was stressful. That, that absolutely yeah. was one of the most stressful times of my life. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to a putting a damper on your, you know, on your first year and all yeah. that stuff. So things are finally supposed to be good, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Wow. Whew. Well, but okay. So, so that happened. Um, was the rest of your senior year pretty smooth? Yes. Yeah. It was great. Okay. You know, outside of the living situation that first semester, I think I had a fairly stereotypical first year. You know, my friends and I found every reason possible to constantly leave the base and to go and just make, you know, lifelong memories together. You find a way to make football games fun, even though you're required to be there. You know, I had so much fun tailgating because um, there's mandatory tailgating at the, at the academy. Yeah. Uh, and man, that was just, that year was just an incredible year. Like you feel mm. like you're high on life for the most part. Mm. You know, you have, you've built these really, really deep bonds with your classmates and your friends that for the most part, this girl aside, you feel like you could trust them with anything with your mm. life. And you're about to go do this amazing, cool thing. Like half the Academy is going to go off and, and uh, fly planes, you know, which is really freaking cool and so you are just so excited about what you've got through and what's to come and I always maybe I'm looking back with rose-colored glasses but that was an amazing year mm. well that's awesome to hear so now I want to hear how everything happened though because like you just gave us this beautiful build-up to graduation and we know <laughs> you, we know you went into logistics which wasn't really something you were super excited about um so Tell me how life was post-graduation. Yeah, so uh, logistics is a career field as an officer that shortly before I graduated, actually, I think it was in 2004, they combined seven different enlisted career, career fields into make this one um, logistics squadron, right? And so obviously the enlisted all got to keep their Air Force specialty codes, but uh, these officers that were in charge of them are all equally in charge of all of these very different and very varied uh, requirements of the base. And so there's a joke among logistics officers, you're a jack of all trades, master of none, because <laughs> you just have to know so many things and be able to manage mm. so many different types of careers uh, for the people that work for you. So I go into it again, hoping to make the best of it, hoping that I enjoy it. You know, like I'm like, this is, this isn't one of those sexy career fields, if you will, yeah. but there's some pretty cool aspects to it. I, my very first assignment, um, the first, I guess, uh, enlisted group that I was in charge of there was in our logistics plans, which is primarily how we deploy the base. And I loved that aspect of it. There is a major part of that job, especially when you're managing a logistics plan shop, to you're controlling chaos constantly, you know, and it was in 2011, um, Qaddafi had to be taken down. Uh, I think most of this stuff has been declassified, but we'll keep it general. Um, but obviously we went over there. We deployed very quickly and sent a lot of people there from our base. We had to stand them up and get them out in very short order. And, you know, I was also at a, a base that had fighter aircraft. So that was a constant need as well. And so you're just constantly pushing, um, materials, you know, equipment and people to the warfighters downrange. And there is an element of that job that just makes you feel like you are contributing, even when you're not in theater, downrange, in Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever, even when you're not there, you feel like, hey, I am helping the warfighter. And there's a lot of job satisfaction that comes from that. Mm. And so I love that aspect of it. And then I got moved out of that shop. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so tell me about this. So, okay. Well, so that's good to hear because I know that one of your goals with going to an academy 
was to feel like you were serving, to feel like you were giving back. So that sounds like at least it checked that box for you for sure. It did. It did. Yeah. Yeah. So which, which in the, in the grand scheme of things, I'm pretty thankful for that. My bosses also knew that I really loved that aspect of the job. And so even after I wasn't in charge of that shop anymore, you always have to have two what are called installation deployment officers. Um, Because when you stand up operations, 24 hour operations, you've got to have a night shift and a day shift commander. And so I was always kept on as the other person, right? That would work the other half of the shift whenever major things went down. So I loved Mm -hmm. that. And to be honest, I don't know if I would have delayed my path to law school if I'd been allowed to, I guess, stovepipe myself into that part of my career field. Uh, But I wasn't. I needed to learn a lot of other things. And while I've always enjoyed the people aspect of that job, because you manage so many people, logistics squadrons in the Air Force are some of the biggest squadrons. Um, There's there's a lot of very rewarding things that come from supervising such a diverse group of people uh, that I loved. I loved that. But I knew that ultimately this was not something where 15 years from now, I saw myself, you know, going up for, for 06 or, or whatever may be like, I, I never had a desire to lead that career field. And mm. so I felt like I needed to go somewhere I felt more passionate about. And so I went back to that moment. Like I've always known I wanted to be an attorney. I want to be an attorney and how am I going to make this happen? Mm. And through a lot of hard work, that's kind of what happened next. Yeah. Tell me, tell me the path to how you got to today. So there is a program in the Air Force called the Funded Legal Education Program, which is amazing. And I encourage so many people to take part in it uh, to at least apply because you'll never know because if you're accepted in the program, they pay for your law school 100% of it. Uh, And you continue getting paid as a first lieutenant captain, whatever you are, and your only job is to go to school. And that's pretty awesome. (laughs) That is crazy. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't get to do that. So. <laughs> One of the most foundational elements to applying to that program is that your career field be willing to release you if you are accepted into it because they don't want to select you as one of just a few people because they only they only pick depending on the needs of the air force you know between like maybe one uh, maybe six or seven somewhere in there they don't pick very many people each year to go do this and so they want to guarantee like hey if we select you she's they're accepted to law school and everything at the end of this when they graduate past the bar like are you going to let them become a jag or are you going to try and demand that they come back to the career field Mm. and so my my career field refused to sign the letter. And that's kind of why I go back to why I think that logistics is undermanned. And when, it, when I put it on my sheet, like that's yeah. what I got. <laughs> uh, because there, it was a constant manning issue in the career field. It's easy mm-hmm. to burn out fast. It's an extremely fast paced um, job. And so I couldn't do it the way I wanted to. And so I started looking at other avenues because at this point I was just so dead set. Like I want this so bad. Like this is where my life is headed. And so I knew that my current uh, hours as a logistics officer in no way would support me going to like a night or part-time law school. The hours were just so unpredictable and I easily worked 13 hour days many, many times. And so I started thinking about, hey, how can I get to a different career field in the Air Force that will allow me the flexibility to maybe go part-time and then I can still have a job and have money. Uh, Because I can still be active duty. And so I started uh, looking into special duties that my career field was forced to send people to. They didn't have the ability to opt out, say, "We're, we're undermanned, we can't support this. And one of those is recruiting. And so at that point, I kind of had a path. I was like, man, I want to go into recruiting. This seems like a good fit, especially when I was able to talk to some people that had done it before. And so at that point, I began cross-referencing, like, where are all the recruiting squadron headquarters as compared to where are their law schools that have night or part-time programs that uh, are are relatively close together? And, you know, I knew I was going to eventually take the Texas bar exam, so I was hoping it would work out for Texas. And, you know, it all just kind of worked out perfectly. I ended up going down and visiting my career field managers, which were located in San Antonio. Uh, That was an easy trip, right? I used to stay with my family when I went home. Uh, And so I met with them and and kind of talked about like, where do I want to go next? And uh, I don't think that they expected that from a first lieutenant. I think that those like, where do I want to go with my career conversations usually happen with more senior officers, but I showed up and they met with me. And so I was like, look, I just want this job that you're advertising 
uh, so please just give it to me, you know, and they did. And I became the, uh, a recruiting support officer. At least that's where I, what I started in the squadron in Arlington, Texas. And at the same time, I was thankfully accepted to Texas A&M University School of Law to their night program, which no longer exists. <laughs> they only have a full-time and a part-time, but not night uh, program now. But it just, again, it was one of those moments where everything weirdly just worked out perfectly and how one conversation can just change the path of your whole life. I don't know what would have happened if they hadn't sent me to that job, but they did and it worked out. And looking back, I don't even... <laughs> I don't even know how to explain to people what it's like to be on active duty and be supervising a lot of people and also going to law school. But it's just one of those things where I would think back to my time at the academy, because how do you get through that? You get, you get through the struggles and the trials that you go through there just one day at a time. And so that's kind of how I took it and when, I, when I started law school. And that's how it worked out. I love this. I love this story because you totally created that whole thing for yourself. Like you knew what you wanted. And I believe in this. I've done it in my own life. I do it with my clients. Like, I love that you just like, you went for it and you created that whole path for yourself. And here you are today. You're a lawyer, right? In Texas. Yeah. 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 I love it. Came totally full circle. I love how you pay attention to things in your life and you pivot when you need to. It's been, that's awesome. Deanna, I'm like, I'm stealing your story right now. <laughs> okay, so so that's where you are today. You're a lawyer in Texas. Did you get out of the Air Force? I did. So they were about to move me and from my job. In fact, I got a six-month extension to stay there as long as I did to get through law school. I had the most amazingly supportive group commander who really fought for me to be able to stay and to get this six-month waiver from my career field to keep me there six months longer. But the writing was on the wall, you know, and I was like, you know, do I want to be a JAG? Because I've gotten pretty comfortable. Like, obviously, I'm still on active duty, but I've gotten pretty comfortable being back in Texas at this point. And I, um, you know, the idea of becoming a prosecutor had always been something that I was fascinated with and something that really felt like a natural move from a career in federal service to a career in, in like a local community level service. And that was something that was, had interested me when we, do, when we would do those types of case problems back in mock trial. And so that idea was already in my head. And when I knew that the writing was on the wall, that I was going to get moved and I wanted to be a lawyer, I didn't want to be a logistics officer anymore. I just put in my separation paperwork. Now, the way it all kind of worked out with like the days that I had saved up, the leave days that I had accrued and everything, it really worked out perfectly for uh, me to, to take all of those on the, on the back end. And I was able to study for the bar full time while I was on my terminal leave. And so still getting paid, not having to worry about that element while being able to, to you know, study these like 16 hour days. Uh, for the bar exam because I graduated from from law school in December. It took me three and a half years, which is pretty common for part-time students to take longer than the the three years. So I graduated in December of 2016 and I knew I was taking the the February 2017 bar. And so it all just kind of worked out perfectly that I started my terminal leave pretty quickly after I graduated law school. I studied for the bar and my timing on all of that, the reason that I chose the date to to separate that I did was I felt like that was going to help me maximize the use of my leave. Um, I was very worried about how I was going to work and study for the bar at the same time. Um, Mm. But there was definitely like a little element of prayer that happened in the middle of all of that because I knew that my last day in the Air Force was going to happen before I got my results from the bar exam. So I just prayed that I'd made the right decision and kind of went for it, you know. And I think you kind of you kind of just mentioned it a second ago, but I think the the thing I look back on, uh, and I definitely didn't realize I was doing it at the time each time, but you just kind of learn to gauge. Like there are times when you can jump into something with both feet and you just got to see where it goes. And then there are times to be more cautious. And in this situation, it was absolutely terrifying. Um, but I jumped in with both feet. I, I got out. I didn't have a job and just prayed I'd pass the bar and I did. And then I got my number one dream job and here we are today. All right. So tell me what's next for you at this point. 
So um, I mentioned I had my dream job here at the Tarrant County Criminal District Attorney's Office. I really wanted to work here because while I was in law school, you know, I heard a lot of different stories about the different DA's offices around the state. Because a lot of people are like, why not go back to San Antonio? You love your family. You miss your family. Like, go back there to Bear County. Uh, but I, the Tarrant County Criminal District Attorney's Office had such a good reputation for their ethics and for the way that they handled challenging situations. They were, knowing, they were known for going above and beyond to make sure that everybody had everything they needed, including their adversaries, right, the defendants, um, and, and making sure that the right thing is always done. And that's something you're charged with as a prosecutor is to always do the right thing. It's not to win your case, uh, whatever the facts might be. Don't win your case at all costs. Make sure that the right thing happens. And so justice looks differently in every different fact situation. And this office just had such a high reputation for being able to make those tough calls and do the right thing that I knew that I wanted to work here. So I was uh, offered a job here. And so I, this is where I've been for the past oh, three and a half, three, three and a half years. Mm. Uh, so I promoted a couple times and I, I moved from misdemeanor up to felony and then kind of up the the, moving up the felony ladder as we speak but that's really where I see my future is continuing to be a prosecutor ah that's awesome um all right so now I have to know how do you currently feel about your decision to attend a federal service academy no regrets yeah you kind of shared that already I kind of figured that was coming <laughs> You know, there's there's something that I had a mentor when I was in the Air Force say to me, and they go, there's no one that's ever going to care as much about your career as you care about your career. And so that's advice I always try to give people, you know, along the way, you'll meet people who will say they'll help you and maybe they try and help you, you know, but ultimately, they have their own lives that they have to go on and continue doing. But you have to care about your own future and where you see your life headed. Uh, because you need to be comfortable with the decisions that you're making and the, and the life that you're leading and the example uh, that you're setting for everyone around you. And mm. that is something that I hope that my life, you know, my career at least has been an example of. But that's advice I always want to make sure that every young officer, every cadet knows is take control of your career. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you can only you can end up where you want to be, you know, so make it worthwhile. Yeah, it's funny because I was just going to ask if you have any parting words for listeners or a key message to your fellow Service Academy sisters, but I think you just nailed it right there with that. I think that was super powerful. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finally, Deanna, what is one random fun fact that you can leave listeners with before we go? Hmm. See, my fun fact I usually use in this scenario is when I was in high school, my family won that McDonald's Monopoly game, and we got to spend a week in the Bahamas as a result of that. I'd never that known anybody. That is amazing. <laughs> I've never heard anybody. That's I a know. real thing. Oh, my God. That's yeah. incredible. Wow. Right. I feel, like, so honored that I know you now. <laughs> it's such a weird thing. Obviously, I didn't do anything about it, but I was just a very willing partaker of the reward there. That works. Um, all right. And finally, where can people reach you? So I think the easiest way to reach me is through my email, which is deannafranzen at gmail.com. Um, so I'm super happy to answer any questions that people have. If, if they want advice for their own path to wherever they're trying to get, uh, I can probably help the most, especially if they, if they want to take the path of becoming an attorney. There's also an interesting element as a prosecutor you know, I always joke that like people call me counselor. That's a common term for, for an attorney, right? It's to call that person counselor, especially in court. I don't have a degree in counseling, but some days I really think it would help <laughs> in my job. Um, so, but I, I do know that when people just hear that I'm a prosecutor, that oftentimes there are situations in their life where they're really feeling overwhelmed. Um, well, I, 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 would have be it would be hard for me to provide input on it on a case somewhere else mm. if someone is trying to navigate the process and they feel overwhelmed with that that's certainly something that i can help or try to help with as well awesome and i'll make sure i include your email address in the show notes for listeners to find you for sure 
Um, all right, Deanna, it's been awesome chatting with you. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your story with the Service Academy sorority. Thank you. It's been so exciting to be here, and uh, I feel honored to have been included in this group of people. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to visit the Service Academy sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.